Well, hey, all welcome to the Military Wire with Mike Schindler. This is the podcast where we interview America's most elite men and women who have served this country. As you guys know, we share their stories of overcoming, their proven lessons in leadership, and their journey to finding mission and purpose. And today's topic is relevant to many. It's how to overcome the demons of war and create a positive today moment. This is a topic I get asked to address often. And here to help us unpack this subject is the author of the book, War Story, Sometimes the Real Fight Starts After the Battle, Stephen Elliott, who has ties to the death of American hero Pat Tillman. Now, before I properly introduce Stephen Elliott, I want to put a shout out to this segment's sponsors, Honest Talk International and Circle for Parents. Both these organizations have a vetted network of experts that are standing by to help our listeners navigate issues related to nutrition, fitness, parenting, relationships, intimacy. I encourage you guys to visit their sites, honesttalkinternational.com, circleforparents.com. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to frame this for our audience so they get an idea of who you are. Uh, you were a member of the elite uh, 75th Ranger Regiment. You were deployed uh, in 2004 to Afghanistan, Pakistan border, um, of which that moment in time became a turning point uh, moment in your life. Uh, and I will say that I, I remember the events around that time. Uh, many of us remember the reports of the NFL player, Pat Tillman. He left a lucrative career as an NFL player to join the Army. Uh, he went on to become a Ranger, was subsequently killed in action. And I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of curiosity around this. How did this happen? And it later turned out that it wasn't by enemy fire, but what was later reported as a friendly fire in, in uh, April of 2004. Um, Stephen, his story and your story uh, is very personal um, to you. So it, tell us why that is. Yeah, so I had... Um I had finished um, my bachelor's degree in 2003, and then three weeks after that, I was in Army basic training uh, on the path to become a, a ranger, um, largely in response to uh, the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And uh, I found myself, ultimately, once I completed all of my selection for that unit, uh, I found myself assigned to uh, the same platoon uh, at Fort Lewis um, with uh, Pat Tillman and his brother Kevin. And so we all deployed together to the Afghan-Pakistan border uh, in April of 2004. And as you, you know, correctly note, um, Pat was killed um, in the midst of an enemy ambush uh, by friendly fire, uh, which we all knew that um, uh, virtually immediately within 24 hours, that was um, understood to be fact within our platoon. Um, lots of things um, uh, sort of uh, began um, at that point, um, to a whole new narrative began, but, uh, the upshot of it all, uh, is that we don't know to this day, uh, specifically whose rounds are responsible for Pat's death. We know that, uh, people fired on him and his squad, uh, mistakenly believing, uh, their, uh, their squad to be a part of the enemy element. Um, so it was nothing malicious from, uh, the part of our platoon that fired there. Uh, but certainly a mistake was made in, in firing on Pat and, and others in his squad. And from what we do know, um, there are likely two individuals within the platoon that are uh, responsible for Pat's death, uh, and I am one of those two men. And so uh, both as someone that I worked with and, and uh, respected, both, both he and Kevin, uh, and then certainly within the context of um, that tragedy, uh, our stories became intertwined. Man, this is... Uh, I can't even imagine. I, I mean... 
you know, regardless whether the individual is portrayed as a hero, you know, American hero, et cetera, not, but being, you know, being in an environment where, you know, your brothers are, are killed by friendly fire has not got to be easy. And, and your, your book war story exposes the guilt that you felt about Tillman's death, even though it wasn't personally assigned to you, but how you then descended into alcoholism and depression, you, you lost your marriage, even kind of gave up on your faith. It was really kind of a chaotic period in your life. At least that's what you describe in the book. And, and I would say that's probably not uncommon for many who face trauma and battle. Stephen, you and I have known each other for some time. You're a positive guy now. How did those negative emotions get a grip on you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot to that. I mean, I think um, some of the main uh, main contributors were, you know, frankly, to some extent, you don't. Um, there's no amount of training, and there's certainly you can't watch. Black Hawk Down or Saving Private Ryan enough to prepare you for actually going to war. Um, you can't. Um, and and I don't mean, I mean, we were prepared. We had, you know, conducted many live fires that were incredibly realistic and I'd put lots and lots of rounds through my weapon. So I don't mean that. Um, but I mean, being in that instance, not a theoretical instance of losing somebody you, you would care about, uh, but a real instance of that. Um, you can't, possibly know how you'll respond. And then there really is no, um, you don't, you don't spend much time preparing yourself for, um, or even having a context for much quote unquote messier outcomes. You know, you think about, um, uh, getting wounded or you think about, you know, being killed, which even then as a young man, um, you don't have a lot of context for that either. Um, but that for me, that's about as far as it went, but the idea that, um, you know, I would be, responsible or possibly responsible or part of the group that was considered responsible for, for anybody's death. Um, you know, whether it was Pat or anybody else, um, was just unfathomable. That would have been, um, not something I had a context for. So then you find yourself, you know, maybe in the decision tree, you had two or three different branches that you might possibly go down and you hope you don't go down those in terms of, you know, getting hurt or, or, or not coming home. Uh, but you don't have a context for what happens if I come home, uh, I have all my fingers and toes, um, but the life as I knew it and who I thought myself to be um, is is effectively gone. And so, um, so yeah, I, I didn't have a context for it. I didn't have a container for it. Um, and so, um, and I think uh, as far as how those emotions, um, how those, you know, wounds of the spirit, the guilt, the shame, you know, uh, all of that. Um, sort of compounded was uh, I was somebody who had at that time, uh, you know, as a 22 year old uh, young man, just turned 23, I had become very comfortable becoming defined by what I did. Uh, because up to that point, what I did was good and successful. Um, I experienced great success in my undergrad. I graduated near the top of my class in, in business school. Um, I had myriad of opportunities, not including the military I could have pursued. Um, and then uh, I set the goal, which is to become an army ranger, and uh, I did it. And so um, the, the danger of, of allowing our identity be, to become that which what we do is it feels really good when the things you're doing are perceived by yourself and others to be quote unquote good. Uh, but what happens when they're not? 
Um, and when they're not, then that entire edifice, if you are what you've done, uh, well, if you're one of the guys who shot at Pat Tillman, um, that's, that's a, a pretty rough, very um, uh, dramatic shift in identity. And so uh, I think in large degree, as far as, you know, how that, how that set in was, um, uh, or was a, not that it wouldn't have been very painful and difficult anyway, but I think um, my, I was a much more ego-driven, uh, fragile person because I was building my life on my accomplishments. And when that, yeah. Yeah, that is, that, that is so powerful, Stephen. I, I, I think, you know, when you're talking, uh, you know, oftentimes we allow ourselves it, to your point, be defined by what we do, what we accomplish, what people perceive us. Um, and that leads to to your very point is we allow then our circumstances to define us at that moment. If they're great, you know, things are great. If they're bad, things are bad. And, and breaking out of that bond of, of, of allowing our circumstances or our accomplishments or even our failures to define us, I think is so uh, so. It's a profound statement, and I think you can only you can experience that, or that becomes revealed to us all by going through something traumatic. I think um, it's it's tragic, and I think it's fair to say that you know what's interesting to me is that story was painted all over the headlines. Um, you know, I, I can't even imagine the guilt that you were carrying. You know, obviously, it, it had an impact on your marriage, your faith, and I want to get to that here in a little bit, but. You know, there was one thing that you brought up in the book that, um, you know, some choose, you know, some choose to do this, though, knowing that that can be an outcome. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, most of today's youth are aware that if they were part of the military, you know, the military, there's a strong chance they could be, in fact, deployed. And, and I think one of the reasons the military is struggling to meet its recruitment goals is because of that very reason is, wait a second, this isn't just going to be free college. There could be very real circumstances that I'll have to live with. So you lived it. Why do you think some choose to fight for a country or cause knowing that the end result could be death or even the struggles that you faced? I think we're, um, I mean, I think as humans, I think most of us are, uh, whether that takes us to the military or not, I think most of us feel viscerally that things in this world are not as they should be and they want to be part of making them right. And, you know, we can do a lot of, you know, things that maybe are counter uh, counter to that uh, unwittingly in our attempts to, to help in the world. But I think a lot of people, particularly young people, and sometimes we make, we, we wrongly make fun of them for it. Um, the idea that, you know, they're fired up about, like fixing wrongs in the world, we should be encouraging that. Like we should be, we should be motivated by, you know, my 17 year old daughter who is frustrated with things maybe that I've just gotten used to and learned to live with. And so I, I think some of it is, is, you know, good old fashioned idealism that the adults can learn something from. Um, and, um, and so I, I mean, I think that's part of it as far as how that relates to military service. I think, um, I mean, in my experience, there's tons of reasons for that. I mean, I served with guys that, um, there was no, it was a very homogenous group of reasons that led people to, you know, be in the same unit. So lots of people come from lots of different backgrounds. Um, I know for me, 
And I think if you if you look at any major decision that a lot of people make in their lives, you know, or a turning point decision, you know, going to a college or going to the military or, you know, what have you, um, you'll oftentimes find um, a very important personal relationship at the heart of that. Um, I, I don't think I would have um, I, I had a very um, close relationship with my my mom's dad, my grandfather, who served a year and a half um, uh, in Italy in World War II. And I think I always viewed uh, the lens of manhood through his military service. And so when 9-11 happens, it was almost like, well, you know, he volunteered after Pearl Harbor. What are you going to do? So um, it wasn't just the abstract headline of we're at war and, um, and, and you should consider what service means. It was a very personal relationship that uh, contextualized that possibility of service. So I think that's that's not always the case. You, you talk to people who certainly they've joined and didn't have, have any family in the military, but um, there's a lot of people who who have, and, and that that is almost a, a, sometimes a spoken or sometimes unspoken familiar rite of passage. So I think there's a lot of reasons, but um, you know, at the end of the day, I think um, we want. Uh, most of us want to help make the world better and, you know, fix wrongs that are right. And, um, you know, in, in theory, anyway, the, the military can be a place that, that appeals to folks who have that desire. Yeah. You know, that it's so interesting, you know, and you and I still, you know, operate within this realm, you know, having brothers and sisters that are still serving and it, certainly those that have gotten out and staying close to them is this whole sense of mission and purpose. And, you know, when we get into the military, we're assigned that mission and purpose. And then when we get out, it's figuring out what, again, is that mission and purpose, right? How, how do we continue to add value? To your point is we want to right wrongs. Uh, the military seems to be a good place for some um, and others are solving other problems. But then getting back out and being sure that we're still an asset that we can be part of the solution, I think is so important. And uh, you speak to that. You know, it's you know, the topic, how to overcome the demons of war and create a positive uh, today moment, uh, I think is so important for many. You know, they wake up and they're wondering, you know, what is my mission? What is clarity of purpose? How do I move on? How do I not allow my circumstances to define me? And in your book, uh, which is excellent, by the way, uh, you, thank you. Yeah, you describe your journey to recovery, finding a way to, to forgive and a way to find hope. How did you break those negative bonds, Stephen? Because I think that's so important. I, I think people get trapped by those bonds. They begin to define themselves, as you made mention before. How did you break out of that? How did you recover your marriage? How did, how did you forgive? How did you get back on a pathway to success? And we'll talk a little bit about that success, but how, how did you break the bonds? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, I guess first and foremost, for me, I had to be broken. Um, I had to get to a place to where... Um, I, I got to, I mean, it's cliche and I, I probably some listen to this, roll their eyes. I probably would have rolled my eyes at this, you know, eight or nine years ago too. But the reason why people say it all the time is because it's true, <laughs> is that you have to get to the end of yourself. Uh, you have to get to the end yeah. of your ego, your pride, um, your um, self-reliance um, that is oftentimes completely ignorant of all the, all the help people have given you along the way. Um, I do not believe in a self-made person. Um, I believe that there are really motivated, hardworking people who can thrive, um, and they're only going to thrive within the context of healthy community. Um, and that's true for all of us. And so, um, for me, I had to get to the end of myself. Things had to get bad enough in my life, um, you know, for me to get help. And I had to stop hiding behind accomplishments. You know, I got out of the military and 
uh, landed a great job with a major wealth management firm and, you know, things were just ticking along. Uh, as I tried to put more and more accomplishments between myself and April of 2004. Um, but that, that, that didn't work because the wounds that were incurred uh, internally um, on that day uh, were just continuing to metastasize and, and do more damage. And so um, for me, um, my, my marriage had to get bad enough and life had to get bad enough before I, I started raising my hand and say, you know, maybe I'm not equipped on my own to deal with what, what it is that I'm dealing with. And so I had to invite other people into that. Um, and I had to get to a place, you know, with the Lord, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. And I, I walked away from that because I, I viewed him as the problem. Ultimately I had viewed God up to that point really, uh, as an insurance policy that he's there to sort of, you know, uh, uh, cut off the sharp edges of my life and make sure that I can accomplish what I want to. Um, and, uh, that orientation had to be drastically altered, uh, which was a long and painful process and the length and the pain was directly proportionate to my pride. And it, I don't think it had to be long. I don't think it had to be painful. Uh, but it was because that's, that's how long I chose to wallow in my own pride and my own ego. And once I was finally willing, um, to, um, to bend the knee and to, um, admit that, I, I can't fix myself and I need help, um, then things things got harder in a different way <laughs> uh, in the same way that sure. when you first take the bandage off a wound that you've been covering for years, it's going to be pretty ugly. Um, but that's the first thing that you have to do uh, in order to treat it. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's in, in the Reader's Digest version is uh, I, I had to be humbled and I had to invite other people in. Um, I had to ask forgiveness um, uh, in order to forgive and realize that, um, you know, I'm part of the problem of humanity, the problem that is this world. I'm a part of it. <laughs> yep. uh, I'm a part of that problem. I'm, I'm not separate and distinct from the others, quote unquote, that are ruining things and that have hurt me. And if they would just get their act together and, and apologize, then, then things would be fine. No, I, I, we're all a part of it in our own ways. And, um, and so it was just a, it was a humbling process for me over, um, about 12 years and, and I wish it wouldn't have taken 12 years. Uh, but that's what it took for me. Wow. I mean, that, uh, gosh, as you're talking, I, I love what you said that, you know, being broken, I don't love the fact that everybody's broken, right? I mean, I think we can admit that, that we, we don't like the fact that any of us are broken, but the fact that we have to admit that we're broken and then, in some ways, it's just applying the basic military experience that we've had is is understanding what our support network is and being willing to exercise it when we need it. Uh, you know, when we're in the field and, and we need help, we request help. Uh, That's right. But yet when we transition out and suddenly we're like, man, I am carrying so much weight. It's heavy. I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to admit that I have issues or that I need help. That's where the suffocation and the, the grip begins to hold tight, uh, and that's why, you know, that's why our brothers and sisters fall to, to you know, suicide and and other alcoholism and and you name it, all the all the other vices and and I just want to say thank you for that for allowing or giving some of the listeners permission to seek help. I mean, it's it's you know, number one is understanding clarity of purpose. You know, what is your action plan for your life? And number two is understanding what your support network is and how do you achieve what it is you want to do and be and go 
and who's at the center of that. And I think for you, you named it Jesus. Uh, for some, it'll be something else. But I would relate to you in that regard as, as having him as the core. It, you, can, you can beat a lot of demons that way. No question. Yeah, no question. It, you know, it's, it's cool. Your story, it's a compelling story. It's a tragic story, but it's a story that, that has an overcoming. Uh, and, and that's what I love about it. Uh, today, you're president of Capstone Trust. Uh, just an amazing turnaround story. You work through the trials, the depression, you recovered your marriage. I mean, you continue to kick tails on the demons. Um, you know, Stephen, how, how do you, how can others do this? How can others find their path? I know you said you got to admit that you're broken, but that's that's step one. But how do you move onto that path to hope and success? Yeah, I mean, every I think I mean everyone's road and everyone's journey is is certainly unique to their own. But I think um, yeah, I mean, step one is admitting there's a problem. Um, step two is understanding that it's not a mark of failure or a mark of weakness um, to invite others into the solution. Um, we were all made in and for community. And, you know, how that looks for each of us is very different. We're all different people. Um, there's no cookie cutter community for each of us. Um, but um, we're, not, uh, we're not made to do life alone. And it's not weakness to invite other people into it, whether that person is, you know, your buddy you deployed with or your spouse or, um, you know, a pastor or a clinician or whatever, um, is start having those conversations and start recognizing that um, that, that maybe uh, what has brought you to this point is you <laughs> and your choices um, with the best of intentions to try and, you know, soldier on and, and, uh, and carry the load by yourself. You're not supposed to, um, that's not how it is. And so, um, so yeah, I would, I would just encourage people, you know, to invite others into that conversation, which for some of you listening, that may be, um, that may be the absolute scariest proposition in the world. I mean, there were times years ago where if you would have said, why don't you go talk honestly about the fact that you may have been one of the people to kill Pat Tillman? I would have said, why don't you just throw me out of an airplane without a parachute? Because that sounds preferable. At least it'll be over quickly. Because the idea of sitting in front of anybody for you know five minutes, let alone 45, to talk about whatever's going on uh, just scared the crud out of me. <laughs> so um, I think a lot of times we're we're making decisions or we're avoiding decisions out of fear and we wrap that in, you know, self-reliance. We wrap that in toughness. Really we're afraid. <laughs> and so yeah. um, that's hard. And I don't, I don't know exactly what that takes to kind of break through for certain folks, but um, just invite other people into it um, and understand that the lie that we can be often be told that you're alone and nobody else has gone through or could understand what you're going through is, is precisely that it's a lie. Um, the lie that you are what you did or left undone. You are the guy who never left the fob and you're having a hard time. You know, what right do you have? That's garbage. You know, there's not enough deployments. There aren't enough badges. There aren't enough years of service to, um, to make you the person and give you the identity that you want. And the beauty of it is that the, the military service and the, the lessons that we all learned um, while, while in uniform can have even greater and more powerful impact in our civilian lives that um, I would I would tell people that that your greatest mission um, you've yet to go on um, and the glory days are not the days when you were doing whatever you were doing for the military um, th that's great and there's nothing wrong with that um, but but we need um, we need you 
<laughs> now. We need you in your home, in your business, in your community. Um, and that's why, you know, I love the, the message that, that you have, Mike, is, is that it's recognizing that um, as good or even as bad as maybe what our pasts um, have been in the military, those are all opportunities to learn and grow um, and continue moving together as, as civilians in society. And so I think that um, I would just want to encourage people in that, that your, your best days are ahead of you if, if, um, if you can, you know, find ways to let go of the past. Yeah, it's so true, right? I mean, it's it's that principle of learn from the past, right? Focus on the present and plan for the future. And the best way to do that is, to your point, inviting people into your community. And, yeah. and I think that's the true sense of manhood is owning your stuff, right? Own your stuff, whether it's your success, your failures, et cetera, own it. And the areas that you need help, invite others in to help you. That's right. And, and that's a badge of honor, not a badge of shame. And I, I would agree with you there. Stephen, what advice do you have for those who are transitioning that that are getting ready to just embark on their next mission in, in civilian life? You know, they're they're hanging up the uniform. They're 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 going to go out and hopefully make impact. What advice do you have for those that are getting ready to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's hard, you know. And I, I would say it's okay if it's hard, you know. It's um, uh, it, it's it's difficult to. Um, it's difficult to plan and know all of the variables you're going to face, you know, outside of the military and certainly whatever your military experience was could, um, you know, dramatically alter that. If you, if you did three years and you got out, that's one thing. If you did 30 years and that's a whole different thing. But, um, I think, uh, I think I would say it's a new adventure and, um, you know, don't expect it to be smooth. Um, but, um, certainly, uh, invite people into the process, become a student, learn, um, you know, even if you were the, you know, the best sergeant major in the army, um, and you've got all manner of experience, become a student, um, because the culture is different. Life is different. Um, and, um, but, but at the same time, so much of what I think people have experienced in the military, you know, even a lot of the crud, um, can become super useful. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I would just encourage people to, to, to recognize that it can be challenging um, and to not diminish that possibility. And as such, uh, make sure you've, um, you've got good community around you and, and, and good people that can speak into your life um, that you can talk to and resources that you can get help with um, to sort of navigate um, those challenges to the extent that you experience them. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I love that. It's, it, it's, Stephen, this is such a good interview. I know you and I could probably talk for hours, uh, and I know our listeners have short attention spans. So I, I'm going to wrap this up and be sure that people understand how to find your book, War Story. It's I just want to put it out there again and say the War Story is a phenomenal read, um, and I encourage everybody to get it. But how do people find your book, and how do they get in touch with you? Yep, uh, they can find the book on Amazon. Um, it's available for pre-sale now, and uh, it'll be out in bookstores uh, um, and officially released on May 21st, so uh, a week from tomorrow. Uh, and then, as far as finding me, uh, they can find me um, through ElliotFund.org. Uh, E-L-L-I-O-T-T fund.org. Uh, that's the organization that we're using to channel uh, any book proceeds that I would otherwise received, uh, I would otherwise receive are going to be given to the Elliott Fund. And then we're going to turn around and give them away to other organizations doing good work in the, the military mental health space. So if they want to know more of what we're up to there, um, they can go to ElliottFund.org. Um, certainly you can order the book from that site. Um, you can also, uh, we have a petition that we've prepared 
um, that we're going to be sending to um, the uh, Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the House and Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, recommending 17 specific changes to active duty military mental health. A lot of focus gets paid to the VA uh, uh, and how they deal with mental health, which is certainly understandable. Uh, but the one thing that all veterans have in common is that they were once on active duty. And so we think that there's a lot of gaps uh, at the at the point of trauma on the active duty side that we could be addressing, and, and we hope to have that conversation uh, at a larger level. So uh, feel free to go there, ElliotFund.org, uh, read the petition. Uh, if you think it's a good idea, feel free to add your name to it, um, and um, we'll go from there. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, listeners, I, I just want to say, you know, how to overcome the demons of war and create a positive today moment. Uh, hopefully you, you, you gain some knowledge from this interview with Stephen um, and his experience. Uh, quite a burden, but understanding that you don't have to be defined by your past, uh, that you need to really invite community into your situation so that you can press on, move forward and become really part of America's greatest asset, continue to add value beyond military service. Don't allow those days to be your best days or even your worst days. Go on and continue to fail forward. Go on and continue to make impact. Stephen Elliott, your book, War Story, I encourage everybody to read it. It is a great read. I'm glad you're back on, uh, on the pathway to, to success and recovery and adding value to people. Uh, you do such great work. And uh, I appreciate you being on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, Mike. A lot of fun.